So first of all, I'd like to welcome all of you to Guy House and to this retreat. And to acknowledge, um, I know that for many of you to actually be able to get here for a weekend involves quite a lot or quite a process of doing and digging it. So I congratulate you on doing it. And to acknowledge that, you know, you're here. And it is a time when you can breathe out, a time when you, you can let go of the dizziness. This weekend, it's a weekend really for reflecting on the theme of acceptance and our relationship to that. And there will be countless opportunities and countless moments as we take the time to be more inwardly focused, more inwardly listening, to have actually a very real sense, a very immediate sense of what our relationship to and our understanding of this quality of acceptance actually is. A retreat always begins with a, a kind of a conscious letting go, recognizing that in coming on a retreat and starting this process, in a way for this period of time we are stepping out, stepping out of our lives, stepping back a little, but we're also stepping inwardly, turning inwardly. And having this dedicated space, a time of dedication, a time of clear intention of being present with ourselves and with our life. A retreat is always an opportunity to slow down a little and to listen, to be more present, to attend more carefully and more closely to ourselves, to the moment, to learn how to care for just one moment at a time. In many ways, meditation practice is a very direct way of really learning how to be a friend to ourselves and how to befriend all things. Before he became a Buddha, the young prince Siddhartha went out from the comfort of his palace and his life, and he encountered a number of events that profoundly changed his heart, his way of seeing life and himself. In those journeys out of the palace, the prince Siddhartha encountered the realities of sickness, of death, of aging, and of the possibility of freedom and peace reflected in the face of a renunciate he saw in the crowd. These are events that most of us would probably not call extraordinary. Their experiences that we all encounter in our lives are not strangers to any of us. 
But for Siddhartha, they were seen in a new way, in a way that startled him into wakefulness. The meetings with aging, with sickness, with death, with renunciation, really were in Siddhartha's life an intrusion of reality. And in meeting those events, he began to see more and more clearly what a fragile life and a fragile world he lived in. In those encounters, he began to understand that the security of his palace, his position, his wealth, and all the pleasures that came with them couldn't ultimately protect him from aging and sickness and death. That they couldn't shelter him from life's reality. Those meetings or those encounters for Siddhartha were a shattering of illusions. The illusions that he could control the world, that he was immortal, the illusion of certainty and of protection, and the, the illusion, perhaps most importantly, of somehow seeing himself and his life as separate and removed, as being invulnerable to the essential nature of our life. When Siddhartha eventually left his palace in search for an enduring peace and freedom, it really wasn't just his geographical palace that he left behind, but more significantly, the palace of his illusions. The events in our own lives our own encounters with loss, with separation, with aging, with change, with tragedy, are equally for us an exposure to the fragile and uncertain nature of all things. And those meetings can also for us have the same effect of starting us into wakefulness. Suddenly we're exposed to reality and to the implications of our interdependence with all things and to the implications of change and uncertainty. And in those moments we are all asked to go very deeply into our own heart, to seek for understanding to seek for peace. It is, of course, not just experience that changes us. All of us have countless experiences in our lives that essentially can leave us somewhat untouched. It is our capacity to learn from experience that transforms us. So that we don't find ourselves in the face of uncertainty, trying to shelter more and more deeply in illusion. But so that in the face of change, in the face of loss, we actually feel motivated and feel inspired to seek for an inner grace and freedom.
the meeting in the story of Siddhartha with loss, with death, with change and renunciation are called in that story the meeting with the four heavenly messengers. Sometimes we hear that term and we wonder why. You know, why are they called heavenly messengers rather than messengers of doom or messengers of depression and fear? And they're called heavenly messengers because those meetings for Siddhartha were very clearly an invitation to be awake, to learn how to let go of fear and separation, and to find within himself a core of balance and grace and freedom. In our lives, when we meet with change and uncertainty and pain, it's really the same invitation. To go inwardly, to learn to discover a genuine and reliable peace and stillness. All of us in our lives, of course, will meet moments of fear and uncertainty, of loss, separation, of change. Times, it seems, very painful times when our world seems to fall apart and many of our certainties dissolve. In those moments, of course, our own illusions of control and safety and security are very deeply challenged. In those moments, our own palaces become very questionable. And they encourage us really to take nothing for granted in this life. The Buddha spoke about the different pathways that we can follow in our hearts and in our lives when we meet the difficult and when we meet the painful. He said one of the pathways that we can follow is the pathway of despair and depression, where we might find ourselves inwardly sinking into feelings of powerlessness, of helplessness, moments when we tell ourselves that life is somehow unfair or that this shouldn't be happening or that life is terrible and yet the feeling that there is nothing that we can do about it. He spoke of another pathway that we often follow when we're faced with pain or difficulty which is the pathway of anger, of rage, the accusation that we find ourselves throwing at the world and at other people. Sometimes when our hearts are broken, or when we face pain, we find that one of our first responses is to look around us and to see who we can accuse, who we can point the finger of blame at. It is a pathway that somehow stops us from feeling so powerless. Because when we're very caught in anger and in blame, we also are kept very busy. But we see too that in that response and in that reaction, how much agitation there is. He spoke too about the pathway that we sometimes follow of guilt, of self-blame, of inner condemnation, of feeling somehow, you know, I deserve 
I deserve this pain. I've done something to warrant it. That it's somehow my fault. And when he spoke about these pathways that our hearts often follow, he asked us to look very clearly at them. Do they actually lead to peace? Do they lead to the end of pain? Do they lead to the end of separation and conflict? Or are they in truth reactions of pain that further pain and separation and confusion? He spoke too of the pathway of turning very directly towards pain and towards sorrow. To endeavour to deeply understand the causes of pain and the ways to heal pain. In this tradition and in this path, we are consistently taught and encouraged not to turn away from suffering not to turn away from the difficult. We're taught and encouraged that it is really only when we can see things, all moments and life, as they actually are, that that is the point when we can begin to let go of the clinging, the grasping, the fear, the confusion that causes suffering and pain. We're taught and encouraged that when we can bear witness to the truth, to the simple truth of what is really happening in each moment, that that is the beginning point of transformation. That that is the beginning of forgiveness, of peace and of healing. In our own experience, we can begin to see that in the moment when we stop blaming and when we no longer flee from the moment, that those are the times also when we truly begin to care. When we begin to care for what is right before us. That the moments when we begin to care for what is really right before us, that they are also the moments when we begin to walk on a path of peace and freedom. That is a journey of acceptance. It is also the beginning of profound transformation. More and more clearly in this life, I think we come to see and understand that the roots of joy and sorrow, the roots of hatred and compassion, the roots of fear and peace, truly lie in our own hearts and minds. And acceptance and healing also begins, is also rooted in our own hearts and minds. I mean, many people have a somewhat ambivalent response or relationship to the word or to the quality acceptance. I mean, part of us very deeply acknowledges the very real and urgent need to make peace with our lives, to make peace with ourselves, to make peace with all life. Part of us acknowledges the very real and urgent need to make peace with all the moments of loss, of change, of violence, of uncertainty, of fear, to be able to open our hearts and minds, to receive life and all it brings. 
part of us knows the need, the very real need, to learn how to calm the waves of agitation, fear, and resistance that so easily arise in us, and to learn the ways to find a refuge, a reliable refuge of calmness, of compassion, of stillness within ourselves. The part of us may be also somewhat suspicious, somewhat mistrustful of the word of equality acceptance. There's a way in which we tend to mistake acceptance for a kind of passivity or resignation or even worse, mistake acceptance for a kind of indifference or even a condoning of suffering as a way of opting out of change and transformation. We look around us at our world and we do see the pain and the sorrow, the oppression, the violence, the prejudice and the injustice that really scars the lives of countless people in our world. When we see that and we know there is a need for change and transformation. And sometimes within ourselves and within our own inquiries, it feels difficult at times to reconcile acceptance and transformation. Or to know really how to bridge the apparent gap that seems to separate them. It's a simple reality. There is pain, there is suffering, there is sorrow in this life. Some of it is intrinsic to intrinsic existence. Having a body, we will, all of us, experience aging, experience times when our bodies break down and we will die. Living in relationships with others, being able to care and love, we will experience moments of grief, of heartache, of loss. But there is another reality too, that there is much pain and much sorrow in this life which is not intrinsic to existence, which is unnecessary, which is caused by hatred, by ignorance, by fear. In truth, we might say that there is much in this life which is unacceptable. Not unacceptable in that it can't be embraced and understood. So what is unacceptable is anything that contributes to or perpetuates sorrow and prejudice and separation. A major part of acceptance is understanding the unacceptable. Understanding pain and its cause. Rather than following the familiar pathways of anger and condemnation and rejection, peace truly does lie in our capacity to open to the simple truth of each moment. 
Acceptance is not only a path of peace, but also one that is dedicated to finding the end of suffering. What are some of the opposites of acceptance? One of them is resistance, closing down, pushing away. The face of aversion, all the ways that we judge and condemn to say this shouldn't be happening, the ways that we shout at the world. Sometimes resistance manifesting in our attempts to subdue or to deny life as it is. It's a path of tension, a path of separating or trying to separate ourselves from the moment. It's also a path of harshness which tends to harden our hearts. Another opposite of acceptance is actually craving, wanting in all its forms, leaning forward into the next moment, the countless ways that we try to camouflage pain, looking for the perfect moment, the endless fantasies we can entertain, the ideals we can strive for, the ways that we can somehow try to find refuge outside of ourselves, Control is a mechanism of non-acceptance. When we get so busy trying to find the right solution, the right formula, and the right prescription, the right opinion, when we get so busy trying to fix the world and reorder ourselves before we understand it, numbness is another mechanism of non-acceptance. You know, all the ways that we can numb ourselves with, with food, with, with sensory information, with distractedness, with distance. More and more, I think we do come to see that these are all movements of pain, that further pain, and their effect is to agitate our hearts and to deepen confusion. And truly, how often in our own experience do we really see that wise acts is born of an agitated heart and mind. Often what is born is simply reaction. What is wise action? It's action that's here, that brings clarity and understanding, that's rooted in compassion and loving kindness. Wise action holds at its heart the end of suffering. None of us can actually choose whether or not to engage with life. We are engaged. We are deeply impacted by everything that changes and occurs inwardly and outwardly. We are engaged with life because also we affect all things with how and who we are. We can't choose whether or not to engage with life. We can choose how to engage. How we actually engage and interface with this life. Acknowledging that we're not helpless. We can choose to make our homes in confusion or agitation or fear. Or we can choose to find a way to make our home in understanding, in calmness. We can choose to follow pathways of disconnection and resistance. We can also choose to 
to foster and cultivate pathways of deep listening and compassion. Meditation is not, it has never been, any kind of denial of life. It is a path that teaches us how to find balance, acceptance, and wise action. The path is deeply trying to understand both the cause of suffering and the end of suffering. The path that really does begin in our own hearts and minds. What we, what we will see here is we spend this time with more calmness, with more listening over the weekend. We begin to see that as we explore our own heart and mind, that we're actually exploring all hearts and minds. Greed and fear and confusion, hatred, these are not just personal experiences. They are universal experiences within hearts and minds. The desire to be free from pain, to be loved, to be cared for, to understand, these two are not just personal yearnings. They are universal yearnings. The practice we will cultivate over these days here together is a practice in which we are constantly encouraged to turn towards the moment rather than away from, to find calm and stillness inwardly, to see deeply what it means to make with each moment and to find the pathways of transformation. Part of our doing a retreat is very much an inner journey. And part of doing a retreat too is the way in actually we interact with each other and form a community together. There are actually certain guidelines which are not somebody's, you know, good at just some good feeling. But they are guidelines which truly foster an environment of safety, of clarity, and of commitment. And one of the guidelines we would really encourage here is around simplicity. Uh, we really don't offer much entertainment here at Diehouse. You know, this is about as good as it gets. You know, there's not much more coming. Meal times tend to be major events. But apart from that, it's really, this is really a pretty simple environment. We consciously don't, you know, show movies or have cabarets. We consciously try to provide an environment of simplicity. But this is also an inner dedication and an inner commitment. We have a, a couple of short days here together. I would really encourage you to have them as very dedicated days. It takes actually quite a lot of courage sometimes to let go of many of the props of our lives that we use to entertain ourselves with. You know, sometimes it takes quite a lot of courage to just let go of, of busyness for a couple of days. So during the retreat, I would really, really encourage you over this couple of days, you know, not to do any reading, not, not to do extensive writing. Sometimes people take a couple of notes or something, but to really make your time here as simple as possible. 
you know, to, to take that step of really letting go of the busyness, letting go of, of some of the camouflage, so that you can really come closer to yourself and come closer to all things. I mean, even though it's really quite a simple environment here, it's possible to be really busy. You know, I mean, the number of ways that we can, you know, rearrange our socks and, you know, read the instructions on the tea boxes and, you know, the fire extinguishers. It is possible to be really busy here. And it's not actually that helpful. So I would really encourage you to maybe begin to explore the richness of simplicity. The richness of not relying on anything. One of the guidelines, or what really one of the kind of core disciplines of Gaia House is silence. And, you know, some people have a, um, a negative history with silence. You know, maybe they remember it from their childhood as a way of punishment or a withdrawal of affection. But the silence of a retreat is actually never meant to be punitive. It is actually meant as a gift. Somehow there can be a great relief in just for a time in our lives, you know, not having to promote ourselves or impress anybody. You know, not having to be a sparkling personality or parade our portfolio of accomplishments in certain things. Sometimes it's a great relief in being able to let go of the world. It doesn't mean that you'll stop talking to yourself. You know, you will become aware actually if you're more verbally silent really how much we talk to ourselves. Um, not always in ways that we want to hear. But the silence is important. It is one of the key elements of learning how to listen, of not fleeing from the moment or ourselves, but of really learning to be present. And it's so unusual in our culture, you know, that for some people it takes a little time to learn to be comfortable with silence, you know, that it's, that it's not threatening, it, it's not kind of a, we're not sort of exposed in silence. It takes a little time to learn to be comfortable with it. But also it's a kind of, it's, it is a renunciation. It's a renunciation perhaps of that kind of busyness and a turning inwardly so that we can listen more deeply. So especially, you know, if you come on a retreat with, you know, a friend or a partner or someone you know or even someone you don't know who suddenly looks very interesting to you, it really is quite useful, really so important to make that commitment to being silent here. The Buddha talked about silence, not just as silence, but as noble silence. And what really makes it noble is the intention behind it. The intention to cultivate sensitivity and listening and presence. Another of the kind of core disciplines or core guidelines that we have here is Gaia House, which really fosters a sense of safety and well-being, are what are called the ethical guidelines. And the Buddha talked about the ethical guidelines really as bodily acts of loving kindness, verbal acts of loving kindness and mental acts of loving kindness. Translated into real terms, it, it means 
refraining from harming any living creature and consciously protecting the life and well-being of all living creatures. It means only receiving that which is freely given. It means speaking truthfully, that becomes a little easier here because of silence. It means maintaining a quality of respect, of integrity, including sexual integrity towards others. Again, it's easier here because we are allowing celibate. And it means refraining from intoxicants, really dedicating ourselves, having a very clear mind, a very clear presence. It talks about these as bodily, verbal, and mental acts of loving kindness, of consciously and intentionally caring for the life that is right before us. And of course, another of the core disciplines of being on retreat at Dharahas is the meditation practice. Again, one mustn't think of meditation practice as some sort of arduous, rocky road, you know, involving heroic effort in which you must overcome yourself, you know, and reach for some transcendental hand. Meditation practice is really much simpler than this and actually much kinder. Mindfulness practice is remarkably kind. You know, genuine mindfulness has no success or failure, no right and wrong. It makes no judgment. Mindfulness practice and the kindness of it is that it is a way of befriending the moment, of welcoming all things, of learning to find a genuine, authentic sense of connectedness with each moment. It teaches us to nurture inwardly quality of receptivity and sensitivity, so that more and more deeply on a moment-to-moment level, it can actually see the ways that we enter into confusion and struggle and conflict, and the ways that we can make peace and find deeper understanding, find an authentic acceptance, and also a path of transformation. The meditation practice is really very, very simple. It begins and really almost ends in the same place, which is being awake one moment at a time. And our understanding of what it means to be awake is something that constantly deepens and surprises us. We begin in the practice by finding really a a home of attention, a base, a foundation of attentiveness. And the simplest way to do that, actually, is to focus our attention within our breathing. Again, not because there is something particularly holy about the breath. There is nothing particularly holy about breathing. But it's always with us. We do breathe. We've been doing it for a long time. It's also one of the things that we take most for granted in our lives that we tend not to be present with any longer, that we don't notice. So by learning to actually be present with that which we do often take so much for granted, 
We are very consciously cultivating a path of wakefulness in the moment. Taking nothing for granted within our breath, within our body, it is the beginning point of taking nothing for granted anywhere, but learning to see all things with a new sensitivity and a new wakefulness. I'd like to, um, well, we will end the evening, I see, with just a very short sitting. If any of you need to stand up for a moment and stretch your legs before we do that, please feel free to take a moment to do that. I know that many of you are probably tired of being traveling today, so we will just have a short meditation to begin the retreat. If you could begin by finding for yourself a posture for your body that feels as balanced and as alert as possible. It is actually helpful to have your back upright. And just taking a moment to quite consciously, quite gently, just settle into your body. Just feel your body sitting. Being aware of all the places where your body is contacting the cushion or the ground or the chair, the touch of your legs, your feet, your knees. places where your hands are touching your body or each other. Just being aware if you're carrying in your body any points of holding, of tension, of tightness. Being aware of your shoulder, your neck, your face. And just very consciously, gently, softening those areas. Just finding, if you can, in your body. A deep sense of ease, of relaxation. And then turning a very clear and gentle attention to be aware of your breathing. And for a few moments, especially, really being aware of your out-breath. Then your out-breath be your full out-breath. And following your out-breath to its end, 
letting your body soften with that. Taking out your moment, just to be sensitive to the whole movement of your breath, from its beginning to its ending. Without forcing or altering your breath in any way, just tracing with your attention very natural movement and rhythm of just one breath at a time. Being present in your breathing and being present in this moment. Whereas the beginning, perhaps thoughts your mind, feelings of tiredness or restlessness, without judgment, without resistance, just sustaining a steady presence, attending to your breathing. And into this moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.